And welcome to a special podcast from Modular Media in the AF style. This is the Common Rider Zero One Spoiler Podcast. I am your host, the Modular King of the Content Ring, the Vacuuminator. But I am not alone. I am joined this time by the incomparable Database Ranger. Greetings, Ranger fans. And How's everyone? How's everyone going? It's, uh, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. I'm, uh, I'm good to be hearing from you again, buddy. Oh, wow. And uh, joining us once again, uh, making his uh, first appearance alongside me, he's been on the channel, or I'm sorry, she, I completely okay, forgot, yeah. it's my bad, but she is making her first appearance in a spoiler cast. This is Victory Buster. I don't have a catchphrase, so I'll steal Scott the Wazes. Hey, all, Victory here. <laughs> there we go. Oh my goodness! Uh, again, I apologize for screwing up your pronouns. I'm just used to saying no, he when I'm introing people. Fine. It's fine. Uh, but, but, it, it, it's fairly recent, so of course people are gonna screw him up. And uh, hey, it's uh, it's slightly topical because there is a non-binary character in the show we're talking about today, but we'll get to them later uh for now i'm actually gonna go down the line here and we're each gonna give um our spoiler free thoughts on zero one as well as like a one out of ten rating of the show um so anybody who's tuning into this without having already uh seen zero one although this is called a spoiler podcast so i don't know why you would do that but whatever um, you can get an idea of if it's something you want to watch, and then you can come back and listen to the rest later. So I will just say that I immensely enjoyed this show. I thought the premise and setting were great. I liked the designs and the action. Um, the characters were all pretty strong, in my opinion. There were some points where the show really stalled out as far, as far as how certain arcs were going, but it didn't drag down the hole for me. Um so I would say the show is a 9 out of 10 for me, but uh, that's just me. Jake, what do you think of Zero One um, really quick? Uh, I enjoyed it overall. I thought that it had some interesting ideas, some interesting designs, uh, some interesting concepts. Um, I felt like the pacing at times was a little rough. Uh, particularly, I thought that some of the early stuff felt a little rushed in terms of building up uh, various events as they transpired, then kind of slowed back down again in the middle. Then, obviously, the last portion of it had to be a bit rushed due to, you know, all the uh, constrictions on filming. Um, we don't fear demonetization. You can say COVID-19. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, um, I felt like it was a show that had a lot of good ideas, but wasn't always sure how to appropriately balance them and execute them fully. Um, so it, it's not, I wouldn't rank it quite as highly as some uh, other fans who I know are big fans of it. Uh, maybe more of a, you know, above, above average, sort of a seven out of 10. That's fair. I also, I also never rank like out of 10. So I'm just like, 
it's you know what that's a solid passing grade you know <laughs> it's above the average i think that's yeah good. i'm used to uh five being the average and then you go the other way depending on how much you felt in the extreme right right uh victory what were your thoughts on zero one okay zero one i i enjoyed it all the way through there were problems believe me there are problems uh but i never went to a there was never a point in the show where i'm like uh, i don't like you know there are things like okay i don't like this little thing but as a whole like no no episode pissed me off like little parts pissed me off like a little like we'll get to those but mostly i i enjoyed it aesthetics are wonderful uh, i think this is some of the strongest characters we've had like individual oh well we'll get to them as a um, but, uh, th th of course there's problems, but, uh, like, I, uh, um, you okay over there? It it's good. It's good. It's good. It <laughs> what I'm trying to say. It's good. Problems, but all shows have problems. Um, I'm not going to say anything about the end right now. I mean, for the non okay. <laughs> I love the end. Um, yeah. Except for, like, a little part. We'll get to that. Oh, boy. I'll say eight, five. All right. Um, Jake, uh, let's go with you. What is your first uh, main topic point as far as uh, actual spoilers? And uh, just to signpost again for everyone, from here on out, we are doing a full-on spoiler discussion. So if you haven't seen the show or, you've, or you just haven't finished it yet, stop here, come back later. See, uh, my first point as far as spoilers... Mm-hmm. Um... Well, I did not think it was reasonable for Bruce Willis to be a ghost. Um, but wait, no, we're talking about Zero One. Um, I I did like how the main villain of the arc uh, stopped being so much of a singular character and more of a concept during the last uh, arc of the series. Uh, arc, arc. Um, <laughs> the post-arc, arc. Arc. So arc with a C, arc with a K. So then we've got arc, arc. You know, we we've got geometric. Uh, we had some architectural structures. We can get some more arcs in here. But <laughs> the uh, the main th thing was the idea that this was all born out of um, the will and malice and hatred. And at first, it was just this one. AI that represented that and then it kind of the show grew past that into it being um battling internal malice and hatred and i thought that that was a nice turn as far as for the show to take um and an unexpected one as well mm -hmm. uh again could have probably been explored a little bit more but uh considering the circumstances with them losing about four episodes off the end there uh i did like how they jumped into that uh, during the, the tail end of the series. Yeah, that was kind of one of my favorite aspects of the ending, that we kind of eschewed the... Because um, this is the first writer of a new era, even though it is kind of an arbitrary uh, new era for Toei. Um, they're just going with what the Japanese um, calendar system is. Um, they kind of eschewed a big thing that had been a sticking point of a lot of uh, the last few Heisei shows of the show has to end in a 
big bad who is kind of a sole representation of the theme that we're fighting against um that that person has to get writer kicked and blow up and our characters have to live happily ever after this this kind of eschewed that very quickly and went no it's about our characters dealing with those feelings within themselves and that's been done in writer shows before but usually it's during the final form arc it's not during the end of the show arc so i i kind of loved that yeah, as, uh, the arc one stuff when uh, spoilers <laughs> uh, when Arto becomes arc one, I thought that stuff was phenomenal. It like elevate like I feel like it it was it came out of nowhere, but it's not like oh I can see this happening because of how the show was going. And, and the crazy thing about it is they apparently did not plan that. Like uh like according to some translations, the fin- the entire thing of Arto being one was entirely, like, improvised. But just like, oh, we don't have a plan. We want, like, Zero One to fight Hirobi because of uh, Seiji Takaiwa, the old suit actor for Heisei, being, they want to kind of, as a passing of the torch, the final battle. Uh, but, like, they didn't know how to get there, so why don't we just make Aruto the arc? That's, that's pretty cool to hear that that wasn't planned. Um, I mean, yeah, I know... I know certain things were sort of last minute changes or let let's try this, but wow, that that whole kind of incredible character turn that pissed a lot of people off when it was first revealed. Um I I love that that was a spur of the moment decision because there's there's things like that all over the final arc from what I hear. Um especially the last scene of the show where um, Aruto is reteaching Izu how to do um, his catchphrase. That apparently was entirely just them ad-libbing because the director for the last episode was the same director for the first two episodes. And he oh. just said, I want to see how much you two have grown as actors. Just screw around and I'll tell you when to stop. That's cute. I like that. Yeah, actually, that makes that moment a bit more uh, wholesome. You don't like that moment because of. I'll, like I guess I don't like that moment because it kind of feels like I don't know, like Iz, Izu died, and I feel like oh that should have been one. Of the but like I feel like that's one of the worst cases I've seen in Modern Writer of oh we of death. See, see, I wanted to get mad about it, but I kind of fought for a second, and I was like, well, at least it's not poppy coming back to life because poppy just kind of comes and this is the same writer poppy comes back to life and she's it's like nothing happened she's just like yeah i'm here uh show's over now and i don't hate the ending of x8 but that's a really kind of random thing that they threw in there just because they probably wanted to have that actress back for the next crossover but here izu is back but she's not back. It's not really the same person. She's just got all the same algorithms in her, and she's going to have to relearn everything she had learned throughout the course of the show. So it's like one of the characters is starting from zero. You know, uh, to to quote a to quote a famous bearded man, it's sort of like poetry. You know, they rhyme. Um, I actually like the thought. I know that like well, it used to be the summer. I hope they play around with Izu tech 
new per movie. Yeah. Well, that, that that's not part of the. Show. I do hope whatever they do for the movie that um they do explore a little bit more of that idea of it not being the same Izu. Um, because if they just treat her as, oh, Izu, who just doesn't remember uh, everything, it does sort of cheapen uh, the sacrifice that she went through. Um, and it also would be skewing an interesting concept with regards to how much of who we are based upon our experiences. Like, is it is it still actually the same person and will she still be the same person without what she went through before mm-hmm. and i think that's an interesting concept to explore through the lens of zero one's you know ai theme but obviously there wasn't enough time to explore it at the end of the series so it would be nice if they explored that in the movie yeah, I haven't been reading much about the summer now winter movie. Um, so I don't know if they've announced what the premise is yet, but I would kind of expect that to be just what they do because this show has been very heavily steeped in classic sci-fi concepts, and that's a great one to go to. And also people have kind of been begging throughout the entire show's run for common writer Izu to be a thing. And I would kind of think that this new status quo is how you get there. Oh yeah, actually like I was saying like hey like we already know one of the movie writers uh from I I'd call it a post credit with Eden, uh, but like, yeah. it'd be cool if we had another. Um, have a, real quick before we go back into another element of the show, have either of you seen the Geo crossover movie? Yes, uh, Ray, well, the, Ray well, the first generation. Yep, we did the uh, we did the live reactions with that M- uh, MJ and I. Oh, I completely forgot. I need to listen to that now. I just watched it this week in preparation for this podcast, and. I absolutely love that movie. That's the most I've enjoyed a writer crossover since Dr. Pac-Man because it's basically just common writer Terminator and like that's like peanut butter and chocolate to me, man. It's it's got strong concept that ties in well with the themes of the two seasons, which you rarely get. Yeah. I still oh. feel like Heisei Final is my favorite crossover movie, but this is like a top five. I still need to see a safe final day. I, I'm so behind on Geo. I, I still haven't seen Dr. Pat, Pac-Man. Oh, dude, you you got to as soon as you get some time. I, he says to the guy who almost never has some time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, say final was the was the build an X-Aid crossover, right? Uh, it was X-Aid and Ghost. What? No, that was no, no, that was Pac-Man. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about Pac-Man. Heisei yeah. he Final was a build in X8, and yeah. then Heisei Forever was build in Geo. Yes. And I just subconsciously gave build top top billing in both of those. So. Well, he kind of deserves it, let's be honest. Build yeah. is so good. It is. Build, build is is so very good. It it really is the standard by which I'm, I measure pretty much every other series. This body. is this is completely off topic now, but I'll just say that, like, to me, Build is a perfect show marred only by a really generic soundtrack. Uh, oh, dang it. Yeah, right. Oh, that, can we actually talk about Zero One's OST? 
Yes, yes, this soundtrack is so freaking good for Zero One. I, like, I'm kind of pissed we didn't do this in, in October when the soundtrack would have been out. Like, the mm-hmm. full soundtrack, so we could have listened of them, because, and, like, the bits we hear in the show, it's so good. Like, uh, Find a New Life, uh, the mm-hmm. one they played of Zero Two, I keep... It's, uh... Uh, chain. I think it's like make up your mind or something like that. Oh no, they changed the title. That was like. Mm. I see. I I never actually remember any of the individual songs, and I so I feel I feel a little bit bad of that about that because people talk about the original soundtracks of of so many Toku shows for comparison, <laughs> and that's just not one of the things that uh, that my mind tends to fix on. So I would be hard pressed to name any of the songs unfortunately outside of realize being a solid theme oh yeah it's i think it's a testament to just how good realize is that it was that it's had like four or five youtube covers and up until now there's been like one person doing common writer covers on youtube there's like a couple and like heck even got like a guy keep forgetting Mark, like he usually does covers on Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh. Like he yeah, Mark the Groot, he did the best one, and then YouTube took yeah. it down. It's back up. Oh, it is. That's great. Yeah. I gotta go find it. I gotta go find it again. It's been so long since I've heard it. Um, but but let's uh let's talk more about the uh the show. Um, you know what? We we actually haven't talked that much about our main writer. Uh, guys, yeah. what do you think of Aruto? He's good. He's a, he's a nice. He's a nice young fella. He's a good dude. Um, he's honestly, the most I've related to a common. Oh wow! Really? Yeah. Uh, like at first it was just because, haha, he feels like comedy, and I feel like comedy. We have that connection. Uh, and then like, especially in the arc once, kind of some stuff about like uh, malice over and dark thoughts, and that kind of hit. Yeah. Um. I mean, I had I had some similar stuff, man. I kind of, I, and I've kind of had this with every writer show I've gotten really into, where I relate a lot to the protagonist and just kind of the the writer for like I want to say the last fifteen years or so has been fixated on doing a coming of age story that is also a perpetual fight against evil within oneself, and. I mean, I think that's kind of relatable to everybody, and it just depends on how much you like the particular show, how much it's going to hit with you. But Arto like had a really good version of that arc, especially because, and this is again jumping right to the finale. But a lot of people like to complain that realizing Hopper is just the base form again, but I kind of love the idea of he went through the whole show and all this struggle and everything and he still stayed himself and that's why his final form looks like his base form because he realized that yeah he can take it all on he can get through all of this no matter how bad the world is as long as he just stays true to himself you don't need to grow up you just need to channel yourself into a version of yourself that can handle the rest of the world yeah, I don't it, like people like I've been making the again zero one joke like starting from zero again. It it was a very full circle thing, and it, it there is something satisfying about seeing I think the original form 
uh, be the one to deliver the final rider kick mm -hmm. um, or some other form that that represents uh, a key relationship or, or key yeah, like um, back to build, or quality like of the show. Rabbit dragon. Yeah, and that was a great final kick. Even though... Um, oh, I still I still love that in XA they use the uh, like level zero forms against the big giant monster. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. That was great. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, Ar Arto's arc is terrific, and I love that he gets to a point where, um, and this is a another thing where they kind of deviated from the norm. He doesn't kill Horby. He let he lets him kind of break free for a moment and realize, oh God, I've kind of gone the wrong way. There's a better way to be doing things. Like the whole show is about how you can't, you can't just beat people into submission and expect the world to be the way you want it to be, the way you think it's going to be perfect and good. You have to change hearts and minds. And the entire show, um, Aruto never wants to fight Horobi and Jin. He's always like, why are you guys doing this? I don't, I don't understand why you see things this way. I see them this way. Let, you can be better than this. Let's talk. And then they're like, no, you humans are bad. And they transform and then they start fighting each other. Actually, that also After extends, like, like kind of transitioning to another character. That also extends to some of our semi-villains. A guy, I, I'm a, a guy. Amatsu. Yeah. Where uh like there was this one scene near the it was near the it was not the Rampage Vulcan episode, but it was near the Rampage. He influences uh people through goods like, hey, look at we got all these cool toys that kill human gears. Look how flashy and cool we are, look how we're saving the day. Like that's like another form of the theme of you gotta change hearts and mm -hmm. And it, and that that whole bit also just was a tremendous takedown of bandai in a show um that's uh very that's that's basically produced by bandai <laughs> like yeah toy companies what you do is fun and cool but you're kind of kind of garbage um also victory uh um your audio keeps cutting out on both me and db is there any way you can kick your volume up a little bit or something it could be a sensitivity issue on the mic. I don't know. Yeah, maybe check your uh, Discord settings. I know that um, for me, if I'm not close enough to my to my mic, then sometimes I'll cut out. Um, and it's a matter of sensitivity, I think. Uh, you said you. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Does it work now? Uh, you still sound pretty quiet. Kick it up a little bit more. I'm using. Dang, it, it says it's all the way up. Maybe I should get... Okay. Did, did you, uh... Your input sensitivity... Are you looking at your input sensitivity under voice and video for Discord? Oh, yeah. yeah okay, yeah, so, so probably putting that slider a little farther down. That way it'll down, be able to okay, pick you up yeah. at lower volumes. Okay, now is it working? Yeah, you sound better now. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Your input, Sorry your input that. volume should be high, but your input sensitivity should be low to make sure that it can pick you up. Um, oh. If your input sensitivity, if you if you mess it around, 
uh, then it'll change how loud it can hear you at. Oh, okay. Quick Discord lessons in the Common Rider podcast. <laughs> that's a that's a new segment I'm working on. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a new regular thing here on Modular Media. But uh, yeah, they can um, fix it in post. Fix it in post. There you go. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I've kind of been steering the conversation for a little bit, and Jake got the first topic. So, Victory, what is something specifically you want to talk about? Well, not other than our favorite, okay, favorite in quotes, uh, Zaya CEO guy. I remember, Presented like, I by him. Zaya. Yes! Yes, okay. So, I understand people's complaints. Yes, he is presented by that. Um, so, I understand problems. I have a few problems with him. Like, uh, specifically one, it's a very minor detail, but it's, like, still a dumb detail, in my opinion. Uh, that's during his redemption arc. Uh... But, like, anyway, that's besides the point. Um, I really like Guy. He's not the best, like, kind of jerkish evil character we've ever had. But he's kind of, he's, he, I like him. You know, he's a cool guy. <laughs> Dang it, that was a pun. Um, yes. <laughs> I, I still kind of hold uh, to my statement from early on that it does feel like, because, again, same writer as X-Aid, it feels like just both the Dans from X-Aid were thrown in a blender. But that's not entirely a bad thing. Um, I do, yeah. I I loved him a lot when he was kind of like King Dickhead, and then when he became sort of a comedy relief villain for a little bit, a lot of people got really butthurt over that. Um, I saw people constantly going like, "Oh, power creep, power creep! You can't. The character is just a joke now. How do you expect us to find him threatening during the final arc?" And I was like, "Does anybody seriously expect him to be the big bad of the series?" Yeah, no. After after a point, it be it, that became pretty clear. Mm-hmm. There was there was a time though where he was he was really like the guy behind everything, and so I'm like, well, is he supposed to be the main bad of the whole series, or is he yeah, actually, the guy who can turn later? I actually, like while it was airing, I thought I had this like because they just like when they showed scans for Arc Zero, I had this like crazy theory where uh guy would become arc zero and like art the arc would like kind of like control him inside as a little like turn around like a little like ha ha you get your comeuppance because you created the arc i thought it might be something like that like i thought it was going to be a mad scientist kind of thing where he created this thing to take out Arto, but he didn't realize that it was way too powerful for even him to control and now everybody's got to team up to save the world and it ended up kind of being that but also not they, well, uh, they like then arc just controlled Metsubo Jinrai instead of a uh, guy. Which, yeah. I, honestly, I do think that would have been interesting. Again, I, like, oh, sorry, like as I was saying, yeah, I still kind of wish they did that, but like, yeah, what we got was fine. Uh, another thing about guy, I kind of like there was this moment in like like in the like late twenties, early thirties where. They just keep beating him up, and I'm like, he really needed, like, a power-up. Like, this is the only time I'm asking Bandai for extra toys. Uh, he really needed, like, a power-up to help curve-stomp, like, people for a while. So it's, like, because, like, I, I just kind of, I'm not even, like, I like the suit. But, like, I feel like narratively he, get, him getting a power-up would be justified. That's yeah, actually yeah. a great point, because... It's kind of I'm... strange that he never got an alternate form at any point. Yeah, one of my biggest complaints with the series overall is, like, yes, there are more than enough toys in this show, 
but I don't feel like the distribution of powers was as good as it should have been. Like, I don't, I understand not every writer can have 10 forms. That's kind of the main writer's thing. But I really felt like, um, uh, oh God, I completely forgot. No, there it is. Valkyrie needed at least one more form and Guy needed at least one more form. Um, cause yeah, when, when you're in like the forties and Valkyrie is still using lightning Hornet as like her big, Oh, I'm mad now. I'm going to take you down now. It's almost laughable. I never saw lightning Hornet as being a more advanced form, just an alternate form, yeah. much, much like the difference between, you know, Aruto's specialized forms early on in the series that you know, basically vanished after metal cluster hopped uh, that metal cluster hopper popped in. That's fair, but I also felt like they kind of played it that way, and I'm like, if you're gonna do that, just give her a proper upgrade. I don't care if it's a repaint of another suit; just give her a proper upgrade. Well, the cl- the like, closest like thing when... she got to an upgrade was the was the jackal form, I think. Yeah. Mm. As far as being treated like an upgrade, I never felt like Lightning Hornet was treated as an upgrade so much as just. Yeah, well, maybe it was you just had, me. Pua, Pua had the had the gorilla, uh, and so she got the hornet. Yeah. yeah. Um. Well, speaking of, because we're we're kind of bouncing all over the place now, but speaking of uh, Pua and oh god, I keep forgetting who's Yaiba. Yaiba, yes, you a Yaiba. We can go with either one, because uh, nobody knows which name you're supposed to say when referring to Japanese people over here. Um, but uh, what, what did you guys think of them? We should talk about them for a little bit. Well, uh, they're just like, I, okay, so here's the thing. Uh, for a while, I like following, like, Toku fans and seeing, okay, what's their reactions? I'm not doing that anymore because of reasons. But, uh, Fair. like, uh, what I did, uh, like, a lot of people were saying that Fua should have been the main writer. Then again, like all everyone that when as secondary becomes so good, everyone's like they should be the main writer. So it's like, it's not that surprising. It's uh, a Kabuto but, syndrome. Yeah, uh, but I will say Fua is a. I really like him. I think he like. I know people got pissed off when it reveals his past was a lie, but I actually thought that was a like that was a pretty cool twist. Like, uh, and it led to some nice moments, especially with all oh, that family scene where he. I legitimately you know, love that episode. Nice. Yeah, uh, that was nice. Uh, you, uh, I've spoken, like, <laughs> if anyone, like, knows me, uh, they know that I, I used to, like, be a hardcore, like, ah, oh, man, this, I'm really disappointed in this character. But I've mellowed out, and now I think she's okay, but, oh, God, she could have been, I think she's probably my least favorite, like, developed writer in the show. Like, n- now I'm, like, I don't, I'm not saying she's my least favorite writer of all time, but, like, out of all the Zero-One cast, I feel like, ah, oh, dang, you could have done so much more, but you she, she was definitely lacking for development. Uh, yeah. He, and she was lacking for screen time as well compared to the other writers, but even for the screen time she got, I felt like she was lacking in um, some proper development, despite having a, a, some rather interesting aspects to her character. I think... Out of anyone in the cast, like even including the the sort of Vulcan skull like um, CEO characters, 
or uh, vice president and whatever his whatever the other guy's title was the managing director yeah. yeah those two guys like i almost feel like they got more character development than you uh yeah, and like i'm not i don't like being the first guy to call out a show for sexism but it did kind of feel at times that like she was just there to be the girl and then when they would actually focus on her, I was like, but no, she's she's actually one of the more interesting characters. Can I hear more about her? Like, how did she get to this point where she's basically Fowser's indentured, indentured servant? What is how did this happen? We barely touched on, you know, what the deal was with her loyalty to Fowser. We which, which I will admit might be a cultural thing. Because there is I think it was like uh, a certain. Control. It was like because we saw the mind control thing with the brain. There was the mind control thing that was treated iffy. Oh. Then, but I think it might also be uh, that there is a, more of a tradition of subservience in the workplace. Perhaps. Yeah, that that was the whole thing where like I think the mind control was their eventual explanation and out when they realized oh we don't have anywhere else to go with this. But I think initially it was just meant to be kind of a commentary on um, a sexism in the workplace, because I also got some of that from Shesta early on. Um, and uh, also just kind of a general criticism of the hierarchy that tends to exist within companies of how, like, even though slaves aren't really a thing anymore to a certain thought school being in a job when you don't have any other way of making money and you're stuck at that particular job, it it kind of feels akin to slavery. Like she was saying at points, there's nothing else I can do. This is how it has to be. I'm sorry. And Fu was like, just fucking quit. Just come over here with me. We can shoot our guns by ourselves. We don't need him. And um, there was also just the fact that it came up. I feel fairly late in the series that she was, unless I unless I missed this exposition earlier, that she was the one who created the shot risers. She wasn't just the head of AIM. She actually created oh. the technology. I, I did not catch that, really but if that's, I did not catch that, but if that was a thing, that's an awesome character detail and like. Uh, more more fuel for the fire that is me kind of wanting to campaign for there to be a like zero one prequel v cinema that stars her and maybe a couple other side characters um like I mean, she, getting... she developed a lot of technology and we never really uh, talked about that outside of just like offhanded um well i know you developed this thing so and then that that's like the extent of it oh dear Reading it like we already knew. Oh, and Zach, um, about the prequel thing, uh, Project Thouser, I don't think that's complete yet, but uh, Project Thouser, that's like a little, the DVD miniseries, like with the Necrom and... Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. I hope that's good, because the last time I really enjoyed one of those kind of things was when they did it for Taiga in Zero One, or in X-Aid. I'm just getting them all mixed up now, but... Uh, oh, but snipe episode zero yeah that was that was a great miniseries so i kind of hope that they're able to pull something like that off here especially because we didn't we didn't get into it before we jumped over to uh 
Fua and Yaiba, but um, Fowler's backstory is like some of the most compelling shit I've seen in a writer show in a long time. Like when they show his dad and he's like, a hundred percent isn't good enough. You need to have a thousand percent. It's like, oh my God, they took the stereotype of the demanding Asian parent to its furthest extreme. And it makes me feel so bad for this kid. Exactly. I mean, I, I do like we were. There was another discussion that I was having with a few people, but I don't think like a sympathetic backstory equals like redemption. And that's and the thing is, they didn't even redeem guy technically, but like you know, that's like because they still everyone still hates his guts. They're just like, ah, eh, fine, I'll just work with this guy. It's it's one of those. I'm sorry, I want to try and be better, and there, and everybody goes. I want to forgive you, but I don't have time to even consider that because the world's about to blow up. Redemptions. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm. I'm trying to figure out whether or not. I because I don't remember clearly. Um, I think she may have even been the one who developed the metal cluster hopper, uh, progress key. Oh wow! I, for for Thouser. like she was doing a lot. She may have even been a major part of the Thouser project. Um, but I'd have to double check. I'm not sure where I'd double check that. Um, well then, I kind of hope they're... This is, this is like dumb fantasy booking, but like something I would love to see in the summer now winter movie, and yes, that's what I'll always refer to it as now. Um, the uh, I, I would love it if like a subplot is just comedy relief at the Fowser division of her now being his boss. That would be great. That would be great. Yeah, Fowser, um, he was responsible for, for, for everything that went wrong in the series. And, um, I will admit, I don't think that he really got a proper comeuppance for that. He did go through yeah. some emotional growth that was fair, somewhat sudden, but um, it was sort of a, a breakthrough within the context of he hit he hit a low and then was provided with um, something that tapped into his or emotions that allowed him to have that breakthrough. So I gotta ask, did that make either of you two emotional? Uh, it did. My only problem with Bowser's backstory here's my only problem. Um, the only thing, uh, what was it? Oh, yeah, uh, that he's, that the revelation that he's loved hidden intelligence all the time, I feel like, okay, that's, like, that doesn't really, like, one, it doesn't really impact how I feel about the backstory. I mean, it just could have been like, oh, I used to love hidden intelligence. We didn't really see, like, he still secretly loves it, you know? I, I like, think that you know, was, I think that was the idea, but it kind of got lost in translation. Yeah, Not necessarily with the subtitles, it. but in the script. Yeah. And I I feel like we each had sort of a different reaction to that in certain ways. Because, like, I looked at it as, yeah, I know you're obsessed with this company. That's been really obvious from your introduction. I don't oh, think... Okay. Okay, now that I was the way that I saw it. Aw, oh, dang. Because um, I, I, I just thought he wanted just to, like, you know, screw over Arto because he already screwed over his granddad. <laughs> I mean, I kind of took it as, like... Oh, we went from this is a revenge plot because I got slighted by your grandpa in the past to 
oh, this is a revenge plot because I have an entirely fucked up adolescence and I've been lashing out ever since. And now I need to try and be a good boy to make up for that. Like the moment like that, that actual scene where he gets the new version of the Fowler dog and he's like, He's crying and picking it up and he's going, oh, it's my favorite toy from when I was a kid. Like, I had tears in my eyes during that scene, too, because that that reminded me of shit like Toy Story Free when Andy's letting go of all the toys. And it's like yeah. it's that thing of like toys can always bring up an emotion of a forgotten mindset of being a child in a person. And to have that in a show that's about selling toys, that always just kind of brings a smile to my face. Yeah. yeah. Also, like, briefly touching on Bowser's dog, I want one. Me yeah. too, but yeah. they're like $4,000. Of course. There's an import pack. Yeah. But I, I did, you know, I felt throughout uh, the series that Bowser's motivation wasn't rooted so much in revenge as it was in overcompensation i mean his catchphrase is 1000 percent. he is yeah. obviously compensating for things all throughout and i think the dog kind of tapped into uh, a memory in his life of not needing that and being happier not needing that and i think that was one of the the, the core things with all that and there's a lot you can read into it also i just realized because you brought that up he is probably literally having a midlife crisis because he's in his early 40s and he keeps saying he's 20. Yeah. Very true. And Actually, that's also something we don't really explore all that much. <laughs> like, it comes up, but... One episode, like... he just shows up in a hot rod and tries to pick up someone Arto's talking to. Like, dude, are, are you immortal? Are we going to talk about this? I feel like maybe we should talk about this. There, there is one thing that I would real. If we ever have another superhero wars movie, I feel like something that has to happen is getting Guy and Dan on screen together, just so oh, they can oh, shout yeah. about how I'm the better immortal, this perfect person. I'm the better immortal, perfect person. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah. that would be so good. Actually, like you bring up the dog, and like I actually back to like what I see if other people think. Uh, everyone like hates the dog. They just think, oh, you don't. It's just the dog. But it's like, oh, if you look into now, we're just having the discussion of what the dog means. I was like, man, this dog's kind of deep. A lot of people focus on it as a focal point for. I don't like that Fowler got redeemed. I'm gonna get on a soapbox here. You know what? I'm gonna. I'm just gonna do it. Tokusatsu fans, and I'm speaking generally here. So if this isn't how you feel, I don't mean to offend you, but. Generally, I observe that Toku fans have this tendency to fixate on a character who comes in as a villain and just expect them to be a badass villain the whole time. Like, this kind of happened a little bit in Juozer with Juo the World of he went from being basically green with evil levels of power threats to, oh, he's the goofy comedy relief character who's trying to build up confidence in order to get back to that place. And a lot of people were like... I kind of just wanted him to be a villain the whole time. And I'm like, that, I get that, but that probably would have gotten very tired very quickly. And I feel the same way about Fowler here, where it's like, yeah, it was cool when he debuted and he was this huge threat, but I enjoyed the, like, slow flow of he's a huge threat, 
then he's less and less of a threat. Then he's basically a comedy relief villain getting punched out by Yaiba at the end of one episode, which was so cathartic. Um, and then, like, we slowly build back up until uh, we, we have way less episodes than we thought we were going to have. We have to ram right into he's a good guy now. Actually, um, that wasn't part of the, like, they filmed it after COVID. Uh, not after COVID, but, like, during COVID. But, like, um, they actually wrote, that was the last episode. The, that was a redemption. That was the last episode that they wrote. Right, yeah, those were, oh. those were, written, those were already written before. Th- it was basically. See, because I heard if I heard people blaming that on the pandemic. Oh uh, no, that's just uh, the way they wrote it. I need to double check that thread. I know, I know what you're talking. You're talking about that Twitter thread, right? Tom Constantine's thread. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, I, rem- I remember reading all that, and um, and yeah, they they had made it up through uh, everything that was released before. Before the break, obviously, but then the next couple episodes after the break had been written. It wasn't until the later episodes they had to start writing around. Yeah, it wasn't until, like, the Zero Two was the... That's interesting, because it feels like such a bottle-form debut, and or a bottle-episode debut, I'm sorry. Um, and that kind of makes sense, given that they probably had, like, an extra four or five weeks to think about how they were going to do it. So they probably, like got it as jam-packed and cut down to exactly what they wanted to be, which you don't usually get to with a show like Common Rider because you have to produce a script every week. Yeah. Um, uh, actually, speaking of Zero Two, can we talk, briefly talk about the final form? I know we're not that's about Jin right now yet, but like, can we briefly... You know what, let's, let's take a minute and let's just talk about suits in general. What do you, what do you guys yeah. think about certain suits and how they work thematically? Um, oh okay uh with regards to the suits i was i was not um someone who was super blown away by by the overall suit aesthetic i thought there was some i thought there were some very nice evolutions of the various suits um i liked the modular aspect of the zero one suit initially that unfortunately was done away with um i liked the uh arc uh, suits the uh arc evolution suits towards the end uh because i thought those were a nice blending uh the base zero one suit um always felt a little um sort of a, a strange kind of bulky it's not mm-hmm. like you know the kind of heavily armored bulky that we tend to to see with something like you know, like you know, obviously Gaim is a is a samurai. Um, you know, and I think this is almost intentional with the show or with its design aesthetic. Zero One kind of reminds me of MCU Iron Man, where he's trying to where they're trying to make it look as form fitting as possible, especially early on. But it's yeah. got this sort of bulky. He's wearing big chunks of stuff on him. Look, yeah. Uh, that 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 sort of modular big chunks of things on what is otherwise a sleek undersuit, um, that just never fully vibed with me, um, and that was just I think my person my personal taste. I know a lot of people absolutely love the zero one suit. Um, I will I'm say I, I did like the um the implied scarf of the zero two suit later on. 
thought that was that was a nice touch. And there were definitely nice touches as we got, went along. Uh, Metal Cluster Hopper is a good example of one where I really liked concepts with the suit more so than the suit itself. Metal Cluster Hopper took a while to grow on. Like, it basically did not grow on me until just before it was done being the newest thing. Um, Initially, I hated it, but now I've kind of come to terms with, like, okay, I get what they were doing, and I kind of like it, but also it's not, like, the what would be the go-to upgrade for me i i still am in love with shining hopper i love how it's just like flaring up the grasshopper aesthetics just a little bit more and that freaking that catchphrase that comes out of the driver after he transforms of when i shine darkness fades every time i hear that driver say that i just initially go like mm, yeah common rider I'll agree. I think that that was a little bit more on point aesthetically than Metal Cluster Hopper was. Although I actually was the other, a little bit the other way around with Metal Cluster, um, in that I liked it better early on when it had that amorphous quality, and then lost that quality over time. It was utilized yet less and less, and the suit on its on its own just didn't hold up. I think as well without that, you know, swarm of locusts. Uh, ability. It was a really cool ability. Also, uh, go ahead, Victory. Go ahead. Okay, okay, so talk about more about the thematics of the suit. I thought like uh, metal cluster and the. Uh, I, I thought like all like the main zero one forms, like how they fit thematically, that was great. Except for uh, assault hopper, kind of just felt like, hey, let's throw it in, and I don't mind because I really like assault shining hopper. You know, I keep forgetting about assault hopper. <laughs> Just thinking about, yeah. I'm like, he did not use that very much, did he? Yeah, he used it like in a couple. The metal cluster was right around the corner by the time it debuted. It was really just yep. used to be like, hey, here's a new form to be to end this arc. Uh, it is like, weird because it was like the one time the show acknowledged that the toys could be used in both drivers. Because you can take any progress key and put it in the shot riser or the zero one driver, and it'll still work as a transformation. I'm saying this because I'm the only one who has the toys, but they but they never show like I would have loved for, for one fight scene. Aruto uses rushing cheetah. That would have been awesome. Oh, yeah. yeah, if they could have they used a little bit more of the that mix and match, that would have been great. Yeah, they did it. They did something like that in Gaim, like with like uh, Guide Banana Arms, but like I think that was like the only that's the only time I can think of where like the Kamen Rider's done something like that. Yeah. Um, I, I do always like whenever they can they can use the gimmicks to get creative with the uh, with the suits. Yeah. As as for the zero one suits themselves, um, I don't like Metal Cluster has my favorite arc, but it it has my least favorite suit out of all the suits. Uh, I, I shining and assault shining was great. Uh, zero two, I actually like. I wasn't. I need. I need. That was one of the suits I need to see like a full like in motion before I could like get a critique on it and it's probably one of the cleanest final forms out there it's literally because there's not much on it um mm -hmm. and i do like the base zero one suit as kind of a starting point for like this new era of common rider um yeah and i think like like aim suits uh really outside of vulcan like i, I really didn't get much into u.s suits but like uh fua's like a uh, vulcan suits especially like his last two rampage and uh japanese the one where he borrowed Naki's key. I like those a lot. Um, he, although, 
uh, slight nitpick about the opening. They kept, like, they, they never used Rampage Vulcan in the opening. They just kept using Assault Vulcan, and it drove me nuts. Yeah, I I always wish Ryder would update its intros more than it does, but I, I get that that's, like, a whole production constraint, even in a normal year. This year, they were, like, locked down. Yeah, they had they had some problems getting around all that this year. It was it was a challenging year for everybody. Yeah. Um, I will say though that like, um, because I I am the wizard guy, so I feel the need to bring up that like I loved Zero Two's debut. Um, I know it's now technically not the final form, but that is the most hype I have gotten over a final form debut episode since Infinity Style. It's. I, I did like the whole Bill. I did like the whole concept behind that episode where they were experimenting through different um scenarios. Like you know, I, I would have to agree uh, with Vac because as much as I love Build, I feel like Genius, like I love Genius Suit, I'm probably like in the minority on there. Oh, no, I, I like I it too. Like... I'm in the minority then cuz I hate it. <laughs> okay, yeah. Like as much as I like Genius Suit, I feel like the debut was one of the more weaker build debuts. It was still a good episode, but compared to something like Hazard or Rabbit, Rabbit and Tank Tank, it, it just didn't hold up. Uh, but like, I I think like Zero Two's form debut, it it works as like an individual episode. Like like I could probably just show anyone this episode, and and they would be able to find something out of it. Uh, it's true. It did also, stand on its own very well. Yeah. Also, I liked how like Zero Two never got like technically defeated when you think about it, because and it's also weird how the last time we see it, he like it's just Arto like beating up Fua to like it's kind of weird, honestly. But hey, you know, still good suit. Yeah. Um. Actually, has have either of you ever watched the show Person of Interest? I have no. not. I know you're a very big fan of it, but I I keep forgetting to. It's it's on my list. I'll put it that way. Well, one of the it's an interesting series, and if you do like explorations of AI, they do dive into that a lot and pretty thoroughly. To the extent that I do wonder if elements of it may have in, influenced Zero One. I'm not sure. I don't know what the I don't know what the creators have seen, but that episode um, that introduced Zero uh, Zero Two is. Very similar to a, I want to say, season four episode of Person of Interest, where you get to see they're, they're, they're in a situation where they're unlikely to succeed. Um, and we see everything go south, then it goes back, and then we see everything go south again, and it goes back. And it's just like running simulation, running simulation, and trying to find which combination works right for them. And see, I'm over here being Mike Stolkowska going, it reminded me of Star Trek. There's an episode where they get stuck in a time loop and the Enterprise keeps exploding. That's fair. That is that is a fair argument. This, this, I felt, was a little bit more in line just because it had that simulation aspect to it. Yeah, but probably. That's just, you know, my take on it. And I, I just do wonder, considering the AI themes of both series if that was something that the writers had seen. Um, I have no idea. I don't know what shows uh, the Common Writer Zero One writers have seen at all. Um, 
And that's another thing I want to I want to say really quick is like for a show that like during the first 10 episodes kind of felt like, oh, this is just going to be Android of the week. They did a lot with just the concept of artificial intelligence and linked computers and sort of limitless comp computational ability. Um, they played around with that idea so much um, that it it felt really fresh to me, even though I've seen it in a bunch of other things. Like, um, probably one of my favorite anime is Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex. And this is going to make people mad, but I feel like this show did a little bit more with that concept than Ghost in the Shell has. Ooh, okay. that, that's a hot take. Mm -hmm. um, oh, by the way, I, f I found the name of that um, Person of Interest episode. It was If Then Else. Which, of course, it is. <laughs> well, it's all if-then scenarios. Yeah. Um, one one really funny bit that they uh, that they do at one point is machine running the simulations is starting to run low on processing power, so it's not being as thorough in its simulations. So instead of the characters actually saying their lines, they just describe the sort of lines they they would say. It's like expression of disgust. Pithy remark. <laughs> it, it's a great episode. Yeah, I definitely need to get up, get to that show at some point. Um, oh, but you, you can, you can, but you can see see why I I enjoyed the introduction of of uh, of zero two in the same much the same vein. Actually, no, we're talking about androids. Actually, that's a that's a good segue uh, if you don't mind. Uh, we haven't talked about Metsubo Jinrai that much. Yes, I was just going to say it too. Um, so, uh, I don't know where to start because there's four members and they they each kind of have their own arc, but less development going down the line. Yeah. We'll start with Raiden since uh, Ikazuki... Ikazuki was... Yeah, I... He's definitely someone I wanted more from because he felt like he had things to say, but he was only being put in scenes where it was like, well, we don't want any of the other members of Metsubo Jinrai doing this, so we're going to have him do it so he has something to do. It was it was interesting how he was handled, especially considering that the development of his progress key was really handled mostly through uh, the little assassin arc. Uh, oh, I love Little Assassin. Okay, like, a soapbox here. I'm I'm forever pissed that we never saw, like... like I know we saw Little Assassin for a bit, but, like, like in this, like... He, he got revived as something else. But I'm kind of pissed he didn't, like... The, he didn't get the Ikazuki... Ikazuki key. I'm, basically, I'm pissed that he didn't become a writer. Or, like, was became a regular part of the main cast. Because his actor and his character arc, ah, it was so good. But, hey, it's better to... Probably a bit alone than spoil it. Possibly, it is. It is interesting that the way that they largely handled it was this development went to Little Assassin for creating the um, for I guess refining the progress key for the Dodo armor uh, for for to create Common uh, Rider Kazuchi, who then was premiered. That other that other character was premiered afterwards and was only in like two episodes and then he was destroyed. So it's like we had all these episodes with the one character that's building up the power and then like only two episodes with the character who actually gets the power. 
which was very yeah. strange. He did, you know, obviously he came back later, but it was still odd balance. It and kind of feels like... Yeah, it kind of feels like a twist for the sake of a twist, in especially in the way that you put it there. Um, and I almost feel like they probably had more plans for um, Ikazuchi, and they just never got there. Um, because, like, there's that scene in, I think it's the penultimate episode, where he goes to Horby and tries to get him to stop. He's like, hey, man, stop, this is crazy. Jin wouldn't want this. And he's like, you don't know what Jin would have wanted. You didn't know him like I did. Um, because that's what Horby sounds like. And, uh, <laughs> that scene really felt to me like they were supposed to have had some kind of rapport, and the show just never had time to establish it. Yeah. Yeah. Also, like, yeah. has, like, three character dynamics with, like, everyone. With Arto, it's, like, this rivalry... With, like, Jin, it's, like, that father-son dynamic, either both abusive or loving. And then with everyone else, it's just, I don't care. Yeah. yeah. Basically. Oh, oh that, that point with, like, when he first encountered Vulcan. Oh, that, that was pretty good. Um, oh, while, while we're on her, uh, well, I guess Hirobi and Jin's relationship, which was really the core relationship in the Metsubo Jinrai group, um... Get uh, you know I, uh, the fact that they had the whole father and son thing, which I feel was a little mixed in terms of how they handled it, but um, was uh, that we never got to see the beginnings of that relationship. I would have really liked to see how that all got started. Again, another thing that should be covered in a prequel movie. We need we need to know what the deal is with Jin. Was never Honestly, at this point, like everything in Zero One would be fixed if we got like a couple flashbacks or even entire flashback episodes. Yeah, like, like imagine a whole episode about uh, the Daybreak incident that's that shows like uh, Horby first getting infected by the Ark and then cause setting up all those explosions. And then as stuff is starting to, like, collapse and go down, he runs across Jin, and Jin's just been activated for the first time, and he's like, what's going on? My owner just ran away. I don't know what to do. And he's and Horby just goes, come with me, young one. Something like that would have been just fine. Okay, now I'm more pissed at the... I'm sorry, I'm a bit pissed now, because they teased that in the Reiwa movie, and we never got to see it fully in the show. Oh, yeah, because we... We got the ev some events that took place during Daybreak, but not the actual Daybreak event. Mm -hmm. yeah. Kind of feels like Daybreak was dropped in the. I, I get it, like moving on, but like, kind of feels like that should have been more important when it, like, it just ended up not being more important. Well, it's weird because um, I keep bringing this up, but it's the same writer as X Aid, and in X Aid with Zero Day, it felt like he was kind of lambasting that trope and saying we need to move past this. And it's almost like he came back on board for this show, and they were like, "We need you to do another Zero Day plot," and he was like, "Fine, but I'm dropping it after episode 20." Um. One of the weird things was that they never established what type of home gear a Jin was prior to all this oh. starting. Okay, Talked about how Hirobi was you know, a parent unit, 
which which you know brought attention to okay so that's that's important what what type of unit he was that informed his character we never found out what Jin was and he was always treated as something that was sort of a unique and special model I never knew in what way and that was that never ended up being explored or addressed I would um, I definitely agree that it's a problem. They never explained it in the show. But if I had to stammer a guess, I would say it would be something like circus performer, or some kind of children's entertainer to explain his sort of childlike demeanor. Also, yeah, so I was actually just thinking something like that, especially with like his scenes in episode, like in the first like sixteen episodes where he's kind of like playing, bouncing around, and kind of laughing at people, and you know, shooting human gears of guns. Mm-hmm. Which okay, is one of the things I... Things I go ahead. Go ahead. I, I, I was just saying, like, that's not part of children's entertainment, but then what you gonna do? Yeah, I kind of love how the show, um, the perception of Jin as a character kind of evolved over the course of the show, where when it started, people, like, half of the fandom was going, oh my god, this show is so dark and extreme, there's a guy shooting a real gun, and the other half of the fandom was people making fun of that. And then, like, as that slowly faded into the background of Jin's character, I stopped hearing less and less about that. And it was like somebody turning down the volume on a loud stereo. Um, I, I, I kept thinking, okay, so nobody knows what type of model he is. So he must be some sort of, like, special kind of model. Then... It was one of those things where, okay, you drew attention to it, but you never explained it, so why did you draw attention to it? Yeah, it's it's especially... But they never got to it. I would imagine so, especially because they make a big deal out of, like, he's an entirely new type of human gear when he comes back, and then whoever rebuilt him is, like, a big mystery, and then the guy just shows up, and it's, it's... it's like a character that's been off screen for the entire show, but was important because he was a backer of Zaya. And yeah. I'm he's like, supposed to be, he's supposed to be apparently important to the summer now winter movie. Hmm. Um, he must be. And I mean, like that—that's fine. I understand writer doing that, but because this is something I theorized when Jin first came back, I almost would have preferred. And I mean, I theorized it in, like, if they wanted to be really stupid, they could do this, is something I said. I would have preferred the ass pull of Aruto's grandpa never died. He's been alive this whole time trying to make things go right from behind the scenes, and he's the one who rebuilt Jin. Hmm. I could see that. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, that that would be very, much, very similar to sort of Bill's whole, oh, my father's still alive arc. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Was probably one of the weakest parts of build. Yeah. Oh. I mean, like, luckily it led into one of the best parts of build, the final four episodes. Uh, actually, like, it seems like weirdly a lot, a lot of writer seasons they like peak in their final four episodes. Yeah. Well, that's that's when the stakes are the highest, so it's not yeah. that's not terribly because usually like sometimes with writer I'm very conflicted on final arcs. Like either like a guy with final arc I found. Ugh. Like especially the last four, episode forty-seven. I will like side note. I will go do, do, to my grave. I will go down that guy forty-seven is worse than double forty-nine. Um, I am so glad you are in the same camp as me with Gaim, because like, 
Until I met Boingo, I was the, I was the only person I knew who was like, Gaim is great until the final arc, and then it all just goes to crap. See, I was still down for it for the final arc, actually. And there's good elements. There's some good fights. Like I'll bet there's some really good fights. But like there's there's some thematic things that are just like. Uh... I think the point when they took Knuckle and uh, Marika out of the story for the sake of getting to that final yeah, battle. Yeah, that was all cheap. That was cheap. That's that's where I kind of had this snap moment of like, oh, oh no. Same, same. I was like, oh, oh, this this ain't gonna end well. Like, not, I don't mean for, like, for everyone. I mean for me. Yeah. Um, but uh, we got off topic there. What, what were we talking about? Zero one zero one zero zero one zero one zero one zero one zero one zero one. I had to do that once. I had to do that once. That's fair. I was very tempted to open the podcast with us doing that. Very fair. Um, do you guys know the detail of, about that in the intro? Um, why they put that there? Why? Why did they do that? It is said 20 times in the intro to pay tribute to the 20 Heisei writer shows and also a subtle acknowledgement that each writer show for the last 20 years and now this one is sort of a new beginning, sort of its own story. It's zero and going forward with just this one. Okay. I also like how, like, now, like, if you've seen Saber's theme song, I'm not sure if you have, but they're putting, like, the writer's title back in the theme, uh, where it's like, you know, Saber in your hand, and now zero one, zero one, zero one. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I've... I've... I'm looking forward to Saber. I'm I'm digging the uh, yeah. the stuff I'm that I've seen so far. Vac's gonna kill me. I'm I kind of like Ghost. I I thought there was some good stuff in it. And, Listen, uh, like, my opinions on shows do not affect my my opinions of other people who disagree with me on shows. I've moved past that tremendously. Oh, uh, we we can all have different opinions on things. That's fine. Yeah. I used to I used I used to want to physically fight people who tried to tell me Mega Force was good. But I've I've mellowed out a lot since then. Good. Who are you running into in the physical world that's that you're fighting about Megaforce? Where? Like who is talking How? about Megaforce in your job anyway? No, no. Like, I mean, like I would get comments on Megaforce sucks, trying to convince me that Jake and Gia is a good relationship, and I'm like, and then you track what? these people down and you got into physical fights with them. What is wrong with you, sir? What was wrong with me? Past tense. I'm just saying, like, you're tracking people <laughs> down from their internet comments? That is a line. That is yeah. a line. You, you don't walk back from that. Yeah, that's a horrible temptation. You don't You don't want to actually act on that. And I realize that. And, uh, hey, kids, this is a little advertisement for calm discussion is a good thing. Exactly. Actually, I actually was going to mention how, like, ah, oh, man, like, a big reason of why I'm trying to disconnect from the Toku community is because I feel like everyone's being very antagonistic. Like, their opinions aren't wrong. No opinion is. But I feel like everyone's very, being very antagonistic about expressing their opinion. I feel like social media kind of does that to discussions in general. And I don't like being a blanket social media is bad kind of guy. But... I feel like if you're trying to have a critical discussion of a piece of media, social media is not the best form for it. Yes. Um, 
the best form for the Skype call. Oh wait, we're on Discord. <laughs> I, mean, I, I will. I will often disagree with with a number of people on things. Like um, you know, I I I, I, I am still surprised by the amount of love that um, Common Rider Dragon Knight's gotten in more recent years. Because I I remember watching it when it was coming out, and that was very rough. And then uh, the Neo Saban era, uh, Neo Saban era came along, and I'm like. You know what? I wonder how I would have felt about Dragon Knight if I had seen it alongside this as opposed to alongside RPM and what my standards would have been like. And see, I watched Dragon Knight in a vacuum last year. I had seen the first few episodes on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, I had seen the first few episodes before on YouTube, but I watched the whole thing in a vacuum last summer and I thought it was fine. I didn't I, I, I agree it had some weird points to it, but I didn't dislike it at all, and I didn't think it was great. I think I think probably the the thing that hurt Dragon Knight the most for me was that it aired the same year as Power Rangers RPM. And, and see, you have said that in front of me multiple times, and I can definitely see that making the show look like utter crap exactly because power rangers rpm is just so so good yeah. it's it skews your perspective compared to now that being said i i think it's it's more on par with things like you know, more of neo saban era kind of stuff it's i don't consider dragon knight to be particularly well it, like i could i feel like it's more on sort of the samurai level Maybe a little bit better because it's not just a straight rip like Samurai is. So if I'd seen it compared to Samurai, I would have been like, "Oh, this thing is being original as opposed to Samurai." <laughs> That's fair. Um, so it's very much a matter of what you're comparing things to and what your expectations are. Um, oh, actually, I think I, kind of like if I may relate this back to Zero sure. One. There was a yeah, go ahead high expectations for zero one like again going through like what other people think and even for me there's some high high expectations because yeah. this was going to be like the first one of the rail we really honestly looking back i kind of felt like we were all kind of a bit dumb like expecting so high because it's, it's just another show this isn't like i mean i get it like having high expectations for geo because it's an anniversary and I, I know like it didn't meet everyone's expectations uh, i've right. i used to hate geo i've mellowed out very considerably it's an okay show um uh but like uh i feel like like we should we, we should like adjust our expectations accordingly and i'm doing that with saber uh so yeah i feel like, I feel a, like... Lot of... a lot of i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you jake okay no, i know i was actually going to say the same thing that victory said which is um I felt like early, early zero one because I didn't I didn't start watching it right away right as it came out. It took me a couple months uh, before I got around to it, um, and people were hyping it up big during that first arc. People loved the open the that first arc of zero one, um, and I saw people saying like, "Oh, this is the best arc I've this is like the best opening arc I've ever seen," and um, you know that they're just burning through story so fast, and so I went into it with that un understanding that people were really hyping up this show, and I watched it. And I'm like, eh, it's pretty good. 
I feel like a lot of people in that situation were a in the, that specific thing you cited. I think people were mistaken, bur mistaking burning through story for burning through concepts, introducing a lot of concepts really quick. Um, yeah, because because during the first like it's, I will admit once you get to, uh, right right after the destruction of Ikazuchi. All of a sudden, it's like Endgame with Metsubo Jinrai. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we are at, and, and things have ramped up big time, major, you know, oh, it looks like the city's being destroyed, all that. That's where I'm like, okay, we, we have reached, you know, a big ramp up point. And I could see how people would say, oh, it feels like we're burning through story really fast because it feels like a final confrontation kind of scenario. And um, I also... I also just want to say to walk it back for a second to initial impressions people were having. I think there was this kind of idea going through, I hate using the expression the fandom, but I already have in the, in this podcast. Yeah. There was this sort of idea going through the fandom of like, it's the first in a new era. It's going to be the new jumping on point. This has to be a good show so I can get my friend into common Rider with it. And Whenever there's a mentality with that going into something, whether it be with a show or with a new movie for a show or in a series or a, a soft reboot of a comic, I'm always kind of like, can we just let it be a story? Can we just see what the story is before we go, oh, I need to use this to get my friends into the thing? Because, like, X-Aid wasn't meant to be that. X-Aid was just this kind of goofy out of nowhere it's it's sort of a filler year before we have to do um another thing we really want to do so we're just we're throwing concepts out there and it ended up being great and just because it was video game themed i had a friend who was a huge gamer at the time i haven't talked to him in a long while because i moved away from where he was but uh him and i watched pretty much the entirety of x8 together and he um, when I was moving away, because I moved away the week after X8 ended, I was like, so do you think you're going to keep up with Build even though I'm not here? And he's like, oh, give it a shot. Yeah, and then Build was, Build was, well, X8 was a lot, was a lot of fun. Then Build, I think, was, was even better. They were both really good. Um, Actually, uh, X8 was story. the first X one I watched in full. Yes. Uh, same. Actually, yeah. X Aid was actually like I knew about Common Rider, like because I remember watching a bunch of YouTube clips, like. But like X Aid was the first series I watched, like while it was airing. I completed Drive first, but like while it was airing, X Aid was my first one, and I remember that was a magical time because like I, I remember watching the first arc and like I had no idea about scans, so like when Maximum Mighty X came out, it was like the most hype moment ever, and I don't think I'll ever recapture that ever again. That's fair. Yeah, there's there's something to be said about not being involved with the news cycle for the thing you're into. With yeah. with X Aid, one of the things that was I think in a, in a something that helped was that it was so different in style from other seasons, and so you could go into it without expectations as a result, just because it had such a different uh, aesthetic to it. Um, and for me, that that was uh, it made it a very good jumping in point because I'd seen Dragon Knight, which I'd heard people describe as like, oh, this is like a solid Common Rider season in its own right. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, okay, if this is what people are people enjoy from Common Rider, maybe Common Rider's not for me. And 
about a year after watching um, Dragon Knight, I tried watching the first handful of episodes of Kyuga, which I didn't get into. Um, I've, I've since gone back and finished Kyuga, but, um, but it was one of those things where I'm like, okay, Kyuga, I can see what you're doing. I can see you know, that you're executing your, what your intended uh, artistic pursuits well, but it just doesn't feel like it's for me. Um, and then I watched Sex Aid, and it was the first one where I'm like, okay, I'm on board with what's going on right now. I'm having fun with this, and I'm engaged with the story, and I'm going through it. And that then it gave me sort of a good jumping-in point so that I then watched Build. Eat up Build. Build, was, I just dove right into. And that gave me momentum to keep watching through the rest of um, of the Phase 2 Hesse era. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that was sort of my way into all that. And I'm glad that you brought Kuga up, honestly, because that is another thing to be said about perceptions of this show going into it that people had. Because I think a lot of people saw first in a new era and they thought, oh, we're getting another Kuga. And there's a lot of people who absolutely love Kuga. And Kuga is a very unique writer show, and a lot of people want more writer to be like Kuga. So when X Aid wasn't anything like Kuga, it was very much just a sort of. One. Or I'm sorry. I know I was just talking about X Aid. We were talking about X Aid a lot. Yeah, uh, but Zero One was nothing like Kuga at the start. It was very oh. much just another Neo Heisei show, but with a slightly new flavor to it. I think a lot of people got matching. It was really interesting watching right after having completed Kuga. Mm. Because it was just such a difference. You could really see how much the show had changed in 20 years. Watching one and then watching the other. So I'm kind of glad I did that. Like, Um, I don't think we're ever going to get, like, I'm sorry to be brutally honest. I don't think we're ever going to get another Kuga. I think the closest thing we've gotten to another Kuga is, like, Hibiki's first half. I like, but like, and I still I haven't think... seen Hibiki, but I, yeah, in terms of sort of that more soft, right. uh, softer drama and more experimental approach. Yeah, I don't think we're getting that ever again. Like, I think, as, and if you accept that, like, I know I'm never gonna get another Power Rangers RPM. Like, that show is <laughs> precious to me, but I know we're never gonna get another one. The, the time like... for that is a particular breed of season has passed. I would definitely agree with that in both cases. I mean, like, I absolutely love Kuga. It's up there as one of my all-time favorite writer shows. But also, I don't think I'm ever going to get anything else like it. And I kind of don't want anything else like it. I kind of love that Kuga is so unique. It's so in its own sphere. Um, So, like, people wanting Zero One to be a completely new kind of thing in the same way that Kuga was, or even just, like, another show that's like Kuga, I can understand that mentality, but I don't line up with it. I I, I, I saw that discussion even before Zero One started airing, and I was kind of like, okay, this is all well and good, and it's fun to think this way, but I'm pretty sure this is just going to be another Neo Heisei-style show that's probably going to make a big deal out of the fact that we're in a new era now. And uh, I'm not trying to gloat, but I, I'm going to say I think I'm, I was pretty on the mark with that. 
one of the big things with Zero One, as far as the the hype surrounding it and the early reactions to it, is it was always going to be impacted by Geo. It had the sort of double-edged sword of coming immediately after Geo, which had been a season that was entirely focused on legacy and eras and was very much focused on, you know, the conclusion of the Hesse era. So there's no way you could see or one as being anything other than taking off the Rewa era. And there was also the fact that a lot of people got very frustrated with Geo due to its convoluted stories, et cetera, et cetera. And so as a result, I think there was a little bit, uh, I think that that's where the overhyping of the early Zero One episodes came from. It's, I think it's less that they were that great and more that they were um, a step up from what fans had been getting from, from Geo. Well, actually, you know what's the funny thing? I see people, like, now under-hyping Zero One now. It's the cycle. It's just, like, you can never please these people. And, you know, that's fine. There is sort of a cycle to tokusatsu fandom in general, I find, where... um, And this is not just Kamen Rider. I say tokusatsu fandom in general because I see this with Kamen Rider fans. I see this with... uh, I see this with Super Sentai fans. I see this with Garo fans. And not as much, but I do see this with Ultraman fans, where people will get very hype over a show when it's starting, and then about 20 episodes in, they'll cool down for a little bit, and then another 10 or 15 episodes in, they'll start going like, oh, this is garbage, can we just get to the next thing already? You get a lot of that. And I think it is something that this outside of Toku fandom to an extent, but it's it's distinct to the Toku fandom because they have a different, um, a different installment every year. Like you look at, at, at any show, there's always the biggest hype is around the premiere of that show. The and the there's always it always becomes more controversial as you get closer to the end of that of a, of any series, whether Ultron. it's Tokusatsu or not. We're um so our recording just cut out for about three minutes uh but i think basically the whole thing we were going on there is like there is a cycle to general enjoyment of tokusatsu but it can be seen in most media and jake you made a great point off mic of just kind of summarizing it all and saying a zeitgeist is hard to maintain yeah like any show uh when it goes on for long enough people do tend to uh, find more flaws in it, turn against it, get really nitpicky. Um, and the, and also the creators, you know, run out of steam. Everything's more exciting when it's just the initial ideas. And then the farther you get into it, a lot of times things like that will fade. Uh, you know, both creativity and excitement. Um, you know, a, a great example is uh, that show that uh, I, I, I know... A, number of people seem to like for some reason or another a few years back but um now now it's just gone completely off the rails that uh that database rangers power reviews on youtube (laughs) that's just complete garbage now yeah when's that gonna when's that guy gonna release a new episode i'm so sick of waiting i just want him to just be done with just admit that you're just just are just be finished with it dude just let it end 
This is like this is getting to be like, like a, the guts on a boat arc of Berserk. What is that guy doing? I don't know. Dude, don't, don't you have like a are, are, don't you have like you know family things to like attend to or something? Can't you just go live some other life and just be done with this? We just want you to be done with this. I just I only like just started season three. <laughs> And then, like, the day after this podcast comes out, you just put up a video of you getting out of your bed and saying, it was all a dream, I'm done, I have to go raise a child, goodbye. Hey. Oh, yeah, I'm... I've been trying to finish this series for so long. And now we have uh, a pandemic to worry about. You know what? As long as it happens within my lifetime, I will be satisfied. I don't even care if the actual ending is satisfying. As long as it happens, as long as the last episode of Power Reviews comes out without me dying, I will be happy. I'm there. Oh, you know what? If 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 it if it's not looking like that's going to happen, uh, just communicate with me. I'll I'll let you know how it ends. All right. So if I get COVID and, next and week, I'll I... shoot you a text. <laughs> so if it, well, here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. You need to be dying for me to give you the spoilers. So if you lie to me, one of us is going to have to make sure that it's the truth after. Oh my god. <laughs> this is getting to be super dark humor, and I apologize in advance, but like, that's my make-a-wish. Is I go, I want to know the ending of Power Reviews. <laughs> like, I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. Dang. Uh, but getting getting back on topic, we have kind of run the gambit, I think. But is there are there any other like main talking Naki. points? Naki, oh my god, how did we skip over them? Naki is like one of the most fun um, firsts for the series out of this show because it's the first non-binary writer, and there was so much speculation leading up to Naki's debut. Because I can remember reading, like, leaks and stuff of people being like, oh, you want to know about Fua's mind control thing? Well, look, this female actress just got cast and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, what's going on? What's going on? And then finally we get the reveal of Naki. And there's that little mini arc where uh, Naki and Fua are basically common writer double. And that was wonderful. And then Naki got to be their own character for a little bit and have a have a bit of a sort of revenge debut against Bowser, and that was super fun. Um, the only and thing... unfortunately, Naki just kind of faded into the background for the most part with the series following that. Yeah, I hope they do something with them in the summer now winter movie because, like, I liked everything they did with the character, with the exception of I thought the suit was pretty underwhelming. But I understand. I where, love the where... suit. Really. I actually, yeah. I, I, and and I, I actually agree on that front. Um, I know that it's been wasn't super well received, but uh, I felt like it was an interesting design that could have been explored more. I, I like the sort of um, of most wind and and blade themed aesthetic. Um, but it. Uh, didn't really get enough time to shine i thought was really one of the big issues it, it got introduced at the same time as as the arc and then all the attention went to the arc yeah, yeah. and i kind of felt 
like I don't dislike the suit. I'll say that. I just felt like it was not as good as it could have been because I get the idea behind it, the whole windswept sword and uh, wolf fur thing. But, like, it's all almost the exact same color, so it's kind of hard to get that until you stare at a still of it for a few minutes. Um, And, like, I felt weird feeling that way about something because I'm one of those guys that will defend the Bayformer designs and say, like, no, those are good designs. They just weren't filmed well. I can see that. (laughs) Well, I I, I would actually counter that with they they were uh, if they didn't film well then they weren't designed well for what they were being used for that's fair yeah, that's fair um, the bayformer designs make for great concept art but they aren't engaging in whoops sorry there they aren't engaging in a film uh, setting and uh, if you're into puzzle play they make for fantastic toys i'm sure um but uh, that that's neither here nor there. Uh, yeah, Naki was such a fascinating character, and I hope is someone we get to touch on more in the future of just the franchise in general. Like, even if they're just kind of in the background for the summer now winter movie, again, Naki is someone I would like to show up in a potential future superhero wars movie as a supporting or main cast member. Oh, here, here's a here's a question. I know that Naki is that um. Naki is generally referred to as non-binary within the fandom. Was that also confirmed any official sources? I have heard so, but I don't know for sure. Their actor is, though. Oh. The actor is non-binary? Yes. I hadn't heard... I suspected that, but I hadn't heard any confirmation. And I wasn't... So I wasn't sure if it was just um, accepted headcanon encoding or if it was actual... Uh, if it was an actual truth of the show. So that's cool. That's really cool. And I mean, it is a feminine-looking actor in traditionally male clothing that's very big and baggy on them. So I think that's kind of what they were trying to get across in that sort of clumsy kid show way. Um, But also, I would just like to say that if Naki is intentionally by the creators of the show non-binary, it's kind of amazing that this Japanese kids show that's just to sell toys is doing a better job of casting people of actual sexual orientations as characters of certain sexual orientations than most well, Western in, in productions. This case, um, in this case, uh, gender presentation. Yes, um, my apologies. Um, I, know, I know Shira was great with that. Um, yeah. I still haven't looked into She-Ra at all, though I am uh, interested, too. Kind of big yikes. Maybe you want to cut back on that. I know the creator and a couple of the staff said some problematic things, but that's neither here nor there in the show. So, Well, I'm also the person who, whenever I get the chance to, takes up for Netflix's 12 Forever, and the creator of, the show, of that show, who wasn't involved in anything beyond the pilot, is a huge collar anchor. Yeah, <laughs> I actually was just yanking my collar when I said that, so. <laughs> but uh, but I I gotta give a lot of props to Shira for um. It yeah. went a number of places with represent without spoiling things. It went a number of places with representation that I have not seen other kids shows do. And I think it at the very least deserves recognition for that. Yeah. 
like no matter what you think of the show, it just like because I know some people don't like like because that like some like some it's not even like not even just the man babies. I'm talking about like people who like have legit gripes of it. I know some people they they like you got it still did some good cool stuff like yeah. That's interesting, and I probably will look into Netflix Shira soon just because there's a rumor going around, or at least I've seen a rumor going around that the the sort of main people behind that uh might be working on a gem reboot and i just watched mm. all of the original gem and loved it okay, so i would right. be i would be very much down for a gem reboot yeah i've gem's been on my watch list since i watched uh b masks video on it so uh... that's what got me to watch it too because it was not on my radar at all and then he was like yeah this is actually better than the original transformers or gi joe it has an actual ending and i was like what I mean, I just rem I remember Gem existing when I was young, but I just I don't I never watched it. Um, it is very much worth your time. It does have an actual continuing story, but you don't need to pay one hundred percent attention to it. It's a great while you're editing show. Fair enough. Um, but getting back to zero one. Uh, yeah. So let's see. We talked. We talked about. Pretty much uh, everybody in Metsubo Jin. I don't know. You guys want to talk about those two uh, Ames Randys? They did nothing. They were what? They had like the only character. Did they even have a character arc? I think they were just meant to be representative of Ames as a group. It's just like yeah. yes, they are. They, they say have enough, enough funds for more people for a good chunk of the time. Mm -hmm. They say they're behind Yua because Ames is supposed to be behind Yua at this point in the story. Yeah. Um, uh, like, it's weird, because, like, at first I thought, okay, these guys, because they transform, they're going to get more development than the C than the two vice presidents. And I'm like, wait, did the and vice then, presidents and, like, get more development, like, last, last minute? And I'm like, it's very last minute, but it's still really good development. Yeah, and everybody in Ames can then transform with that key. Which, by the way, the fact that that key, the the sound it makes is just a voice yelling hard. I am both very surprised and kind of proud of the Tokusatsu fandom that that did not take off as a reaction image. Dang. <laughs> um, I, th I think like people made like some jokes about it when they debuted, but like that that's that. That's it. It never like it never became a meme like a like a Dan Kuroto or a like a what, what other a a uh, Tajibana son like thing. Yeah. Um. I think that's it. I think we covered all the major points. Um. I we well, wait, there was uh, there was one other guy in the show that I don't think we really talked about. One is was it, I think his name rhymed with Naruto. We touched on Aruto briefly at the beginning, but did you have anything more to say about him? Uh, well, Jake? I mean, he was he was the main character of the show, so I felt like probably deserved a little bit. Wait, a little we didn't bit talk about Izu. Uh, yeah, we kind of just talked about where Izu is left at the end. Um, yeah, we, talk, we talked about yeah the the wrap up with him and Izu, but not too much about him and Izu as characters. And they and their relationship was sort of the core of the show. Yeah. yeah. It, was, um, and, it I, was very like wholesome. Yeah, I it was extremely how, wholesome. It always kind of rode that line of 
it could be read as romantic, but it's very clearly not meant to be. Um, like, I did see that joke float, um, flying around constantly during the show of, oh, Izu's just a sex doll. But, like, there's a point in the show where Arto literally comes out and says, I view her as my little sister. And I was yeah. like, mm, yes, I, I'm kidding, and I'm fully on board with this relationship now. I, I, I love them together so much, especially because um, another thing from that interview where I discovered that uh, the entire final scene was ad-lib, this is, uh, she had done modeling before, but this was Izu's actress's first acting gig. Um, and for well, I, somebody who... Really... Look, I was just about to say, like, you, you were just about to say it. That, that's very good, especially since he played uh, two very, like, cool characters, like Azu, which is basically just the arc's representative. Yeah, and Izu had such, especially during, like, I'd say up through the entire first half of the show, Izu had very gradual and very almost precisely measured development, and that actress played so much of that perfectly that... I was kind of in shock for a few minutes after I read that it was her, her first role. I was like, damn, son, this girl is going places if this was her first role. Yeah, yeah she did a great job, as both Izu and Azu. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, and, and just all throughout the show, like whenever they were having their, their various antics together, it was very sweet and definitely one of the most enjoyable aspects yeah. of the series. Like I wasn't always engaged with the story or the um, or, or where they were going with it, but I, I pretty much always enjoyed it when uh, uh, when Izu and Aruto were just being adorable on screen. Yeah, um, especially when they were like interacting with uh, hidden intelligence customers trying to sell them on Huma Gears. Like yeah. them as pitch artists was like I would almost equate it to Team Rocket levels of charm. Oh, okay. One episode with, like, the wrapping Huma Gear. Yeah! Like, yeah, that is fair, like, that whole concept is fairly cringy in and of itself, but watching, like, Izu dance, like, the hype man of the rapper was amazing. Because she still has that, you know, the straight face as she's doing all that. And also, I love that episode for just blatantly coming out and being like, yeah, this show is about some big political ideas. When they when they reveal that the politician is in Zaya's bag, and Arto's just, like, in shock, and the other Humagir is, and the rapper Humagir is just like, yeah, this is how it always is, and I'm really pissed off that it's like this again now. That, that, that Humagir was spitting some truth, uh, oh. to, to, to be fair. Ver verily so. And like, normally I'm not super into Figuarts, but I gotta admit, I am super tempted to pick up a Figuarts Izu and uh, at least one of Zero One's forms. Um, just because having them two together on a shelf would be a pretty ace display. Also, one thing that I felt was kind of a weird thing with... Th this is actually just a little nitpick. Why was Izu's super speed not consistent? Because I felt like Good she point. could get she could get a, a new progress to uh, key to Aruto like that, but when it came to oh no, bad guy is attacking Izu, 
all of a sudden her feet were made of lead. I feel like it was that traditional drama idea of the person is in shock that they're about to die, so they can't think about fight or flight. I know, but also, like, like um, but, but still, if you, you have the super speed, do the flight. <laughs> you, you're not going to fight. Yeah. Do the flight. Yeah, but, like, I've also had this argument with my sister for my entire life in relation to the original Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire in the parade scene where the float is about to fall on the kid and then Spider-Man saves him. My, my sisters always watches that scene and goes, why doesn't the kid just run out of the way of the float? And I'm like, because Spider-Man had to save him in this scene. Yeah, basically. Yeah. But it, it was... It was... It's it's difficult when it's, it's different when the character is portrayed as uh, being largely unflappable and having super speed. That's fair. I feel I feel like in those situations the characters be like, "Oh, I should run now. I'm going to run now," and then runs at the speed they are capable of running, as opposed to a light jog. Um. But that, that's, you know, a, a small nitpick um, that was j just frustrating for some scenes. Um, by the time that we got to the destruction of Izu, I kind of just sort of rolled with that was how things were being handled. Break is presented by Zaya. <laughs> okay, so the recording just cut out for a second time. And uh, again, I think we've touched on pretty much everything. So... Uh, let's real quick do a round-robin sort of final thoughts, and then I think we'll end it off here. All right. Start to shine. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Thing. All right, uh, so I like Zero One a lot. It's probably, like, I'd say either top 15 at most for me, or top 10. I don't know. Like, just... It, it's high It's high enough, but, like, I don't think it's going to be, like, my all-time favorite. There's still, I mean, there's I've things... seen I've seen about maybe a dozen common writers, so it's definitely in my top fifteen. <laughs> yeah, um, I like there's elements like I feel like it's a great show in general, but like there's little things that hold it back. I feel like there's like a few missed potentials that hold it back from being like my favorite season ever. It's no double O's or build for me, uh, but like it's pretty good, you know. And sometimes you just need something to be pretty good, even if it does have a few missed potentials there. Uh, I will say, basically, the final arc is probably in my, like, my top three favorite Kamen Rider final arcs, so, yeah, it earns that, so, uh, yeah, still remains, it's 8.5 out of 10. Um, I would, I would say, like, I definitely enjoyed the show a whole lot, um, I'm definitely a little bit more forgiving of it than you guys seem to be, but, again, that's fine. Uh, one thing we didn't touch on that I would have loved to have ranted about for a little bit is... The tournament arc is definitely, like, the worst part of the show. It drags a lot towards the end of that. And I think if you could put a big sticking point against the show, it probably would be that, at least narratively. Um, so that kind of keeps it from being, like, the best writer show I've ever seen to being just, like, a really good, really solid writer show that I would definitely recommend to people if they said, like, hey, I'm getting into Common Rider. What's, like, free shows you'd recommend? I would probably say this wizard and kuga because i'm a weirdo but uh yeah i, re I really like the show and uh yeah jake what did you think 
Uh, I enjoyed it. I thought that it was generally at its best when it was engaging with the fun uh, and wholesome relationships between the characters, or else um, diving into the more uh, philosophical themes, exploring um, artificial intelligence and its relationship with human emotions. Um, I wish that it had explored uh, those concepts with a little bit more nuance, a little bit more frequently. Um, because at times it did feel like it was touching on ideas, but not really fully exploring the ideas. Um, I felt like the, there was that, you know, spinning wheels portion in the middle, um, which sort of ties into an overall, uh, pacing issue that I, uh, mentioned earlier. And what it, what, what it really came down to, I say pacing issue, but, um, it more so was that when we got to the, um, the climax of certain arcs, um, the stakes didn't always feel entirely burnt. Uh, like the end of the initial Metsubojinrai arc, all of a sudden everything was crazy and all of a sudden, you know, it was like the end of the city. And then we immediately stepped back from that for the, um, uh, for the, the jobs arc. And things were somewhat uneven in that regard. Um, you know, similar things where things suddenly seem to ramp up almost out of nowhere and then sort of spin, stall out a little bit, uh, out of nowhere. Um, and that was one of the things that sort of gave me trouble getting fully engaged with it. Um, as, as opposed to, I, I know I often compare things to, uh, Common Rider Build, which really did keep pardon the pun, building up its stakes consistently throughout. And same thing with Kamen Rider Gaim, I felt it did keep building up its stakes throughout, uh, whereas um, well, it, say it, or not exit, Zero One kind of uh, hopped up and down a little bit more. I guess it went from a discrete zero state to a one state and back and forth. Um, it's thematic! Uh, but also, I felt that Aruto, while an enjoyable character, if I were to go all the way back to the beginning, one thing that I felt was a little bit of a problem, the very beginning, was just that the thematics of the series were not well established, I think, at the outset. And that was indicative of how some things were a bit confused throughout. Uh, as you have, when you have a character whose defining trait throughout the f series is that he believes in Humagir's living alongside humans no matter what, and his first episode is about how sad he is that he's getting replaced by a hum Humagir at his job, and that's never really reconciled. Yeah, I completely forgot about that. Mm. Uh, that that's one of those things that's sort of indicative of how you had they had a lot of good concepts, um, but they were dodgy on execution, and so we didn't get to see them. I think embraced to their fullest, um, and, and, and the moments that we did, I thought were were quite nice and quite brilliant. I thought we had some standout episodes like the introduction of Zero Two, 
or um, when we really got into the conflict with Aruto and Hirobi at the very end. Um, although rushed, I thought emotionally there were some very strong things there that I wish I had seen throughout. Um, it was definitely a series that had a lot of interesting ideas, but lived in the shadow of the circumstances in which it was produced. Um, circumstances of being the first of its era, of following a divisive anniversary season, and of being produced during a global pandemic. Mm -hmm. So I think that I think that kind of wraps up my thoughts on it. Okay. Um, well, then that's going to do it for uh, this uh, spoiler cast here. So before we go, uh, let's everybody go ahead and plug our stuff for anybody listening to this that doesn't already know some of us. Uh, Victory Buster, tell everybody what you do online and where they can find it if you want them to. All right. Hey. I do YouTube videos on the channel called Victory Buster. Haha, <laughs> I named the channel after myself. And I mostly do reviews slash essays. I'm currently working on two. Like, the, the, my next video, I'm not sure if this is going to be out by the time my next video is out. But my next video is going to be on Tony Hawk Pro Skater. So, hey, if you like skating, check it out. Also, I'm, I do sometimes review Power Rangers and Toku. So, hey, if you like those, check it out. I don't know. I do skits sometimes. I just do whatever. <laughs> All right. Uh, database, tell everybody what you do and where they can find it if you want them to. I also sometimes re review the Power Rangers and Tokusatsu. Uh, <laughs> if you search for Database Ranger on the internet, you will find me uh, on Twitter, Facebook, and, of course, on YouTube, uh, where I do Database Rangers Power Reviews, which is uh, my series that I have been working on for the last eight years, um, almost eight years. Um we have our big 90th episode coming out uh, later this September. Um, it is a, a scripted review series in which I engage in a great number of adventures with my fellow characters, exploring um, the unseen corners of the Power Rangers universe. And every week, uh, my wife, MJ, and I do live reactions to uh, Power Rangers and various other tokusatsu. So if you want to join us on Sunday, on uh, Saturday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, we do our live streams of uh, currently the internationally aired Beast Morphers episodes. So feel free to join our chat for that. Uh, and uh, I've also been taking part in the uh, in the Viewing Globe event, which is happening at the time of this recording. So if you want to see my uh, my trivia bumpers. Um, feel free to, to join in on that. I know it's been a, a nice spotlight event for a lot of other content creators in the Power Rangers fandom. So if you would like to find other people who also do uh, Power Rangers stuff, feel free to check out the Viewing Globe. All right. Well, a little shout out there. All right. Well, I am your modular king of the content ring, the Vacuuminator. I do all kinds of stuff over on my YouTube channel, mainly toy reviews, vlogs, and the occasional analysis. Um, you can find me at youtube.com slash the Vacuuminator. Uh, that is spelled V-A-C-U-U-M-I-N-A-T-O-R. I am also on the social media, Instagram and Twitter, at the Vacuuminator. And hey, before you go check that out or anything, 
having those guys just plug, do me a real quick favor. Why don't you go ahead and subscribe to Modular Media if you enjoyed this podcast and ring that bell to enable notifications because later this week, ladies and gentlemen, we have an absolutely monumental announcement about the future of Modular Media coming up that you will not want to miss. Seriously, something I cannot overstate how excited I am for it. It's something I've been kind of building towards being able to do for the entirety of my YouTube career. So I really want you guys to see that if you're at all interested in me or these guys by having listened to it uh, because I think it would be good for everyone by proxy when it's all said and done. But that's all I can say about it for now because it's very heavily under wraps until we put that announcement out. And uh, I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so that's going to pretty much do it for this. Uh, this was pretty much a one-off, but it's kind of the same style we do for our main podcast, Analytical Fanboys, that comes out every Friday. Uh, if you want to go ahead and uh, listen to some of those, we do all kinds of randomly selected topics by myself, uh, Boingo Writer, and Snowcone83, the free hosts of the podcast. We also have a wrestling podcast, the Modular Media Wrestling Podcast, or MMWP, that's currently on hiatus but it's coming back we got plans for a return don't worry and uh you know there's all kinds of other stuff that we've got in the works that you won't want to miss so be sure to stick around and uh who knows i may loop around with these guys when saber is over and do a spoiler cast about that if i can wrangle them up uh but that's it for this uh podcast so thank you all for joining us Thank you to my guest host for joining us, and we will see you all next time.